You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. As we continue our series today, we're in 1 John chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles or a smartphone, I think all phones are smarter than me right now, but just go ahead and pull it out. Open your Bible app, 1 John chapter 3. As we continue our series today, this actually, it lines up perfectly with Father's Day. It's, it's like God orchestrated it or something. Isn't that amazing? 1 John chapter 3, as we look at fatherhood and what it means. For me, fatherhood was something that, 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 actually, that uh, we kind of struggled with. And for those of you who know us, you know that our early years in, in marriage, uh, we were unable to have children. We prayed for eight years, eight long years, you know. And we're going, God, you know, what's happening? We went to every specialist. We spent more money than we even had trying to find out, God, what's happening? And nothing happened. And then eight years in the process, the Lord dropped Riley into our lap and and made us parents. And we began this journey of what it means for me even to be a father and walking that out. It's something that even revolutionized my eyes and opened them up to see who God is in even in, in, in a greater way in my life and in my journey. And as we dig into this day, I want to invite all of you to open your eyes as we look at who God is and why God has chosen to relate to us as a father. Like we said earlier, I recognize in this room today, the term father is, is a hurtful word for some, for some of us because we've not experienced it, we've been hurt by it. We're in a world that is broken and as a result, there are so many men that get broken along with it. But today I'd like for you to just open up your heart and allow our God, our Father, to come in and to speak to us. And even today as we walk through, experience the healing that comes from our perfect Father. Amen? So I'd like to kind of lead you. I do this several times in a Quaker prayer. To the, to, to the, the, the Quakers, their physical posture was so important. So they would start their prayer out by just holding their hands out, palms down. I'd like to invite you to do that if you feel comfortable. And they did it palms down just to illustrate that, first of all, as they come to God, they've got to let go of everything. Do you have stuff in your life you're trying to let go of? <laughs> Maybe the maple bar donuts and baking you just had. <laughs> so we just hold our palms face down, signifying, Lord... You said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So, Lord, we empty our spirit of all the stuff and the junk and the brokenness and the things that even other people have put in our hands that don't need to be there. So, Lord, empty us today. Empty us today so that we can receive from you. And then the Quakers, they would turn their palms face up. Now, this is the receiving position because only when we're empty we can get rid of it are we able to hold what God has. And this is where we say, God, whatever you have for me, just give it to me. Just say, give it to me, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. We want to receive from you today, from your word. Oh, God, our Father, be alive in us and in this place today as we receive from you the only one who's good, the only one who's perfect. And we do this through your Son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. So 1 John chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 10, and this is from the ESV version, ESV version. Let's read this together. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So as we dive into this today, first of all, we're going to look at that there's a real father out there. And the real father is God. He's the real thing. But we also recognize that anytime there's something of value, there's always a counterfeit that often comes in. So there's a counterfeit father as well, and that's Satan. But then as we come around to the end, we realize that God, the real deal, our real father, he wants to know us. So we'll look at the real father, the counterfeit father, and then how God, our father, he wants to know us. Are you ready this morning? So we're going to start off with the real thing, the real deal, the real father. This is God. And I love it how God, he could have chosen to frame this relationship any way that he wanted to connect with us in any way, but he chose fatherhood. He chose for us to call him and to relate to him as the father. When you look in the Old Testament, you see that it refers to God as the father. He's called in Deuteronomy the children of God. In Malachi, he's the father of creation. And in Jeremiah, he's the father of Israel. So we see this theme just wrapping through of fatherhood. But when we hit the New Testament, this is when things start getting cranked up in our lives. In the New Testament, there's this turn to where now the Father, we relate to him as Abba. Sixty-five times in the Synoptic Gospels, that's the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's referred to as God. And then in John, over a hundred times. And this is how Jesus taught us to relate to him. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, our Father. And Jesus didn't teach it as like one of the many ways. Jesus taught it as the way. This is how we relate to God. He is our Father. Over 165 times in the gospel, over 40 times in the Pauline letters. And even as we look at this term for Father, when we dig deeper into the Word, like every good student of the Bible should, we recognize that it digs deep in a term of intimacy. To where when theologians have gone back and they've studied that context, they've studied everything that it means, they find that the closest word that we have in the English language to father is the word daddy. Everyone say daddy. Daddy. That's often the first word that every child says. I brainwash my kids to make that their first word. (laughs) The first word is going to be daddy, daddy. Every time I picked them up, I'm like, daddy, daddy. 
Why? Because it's a term of connection. It's that term of intimacy. See, God, he created the relationship, could have chosen the structure any way. So why would God want this to be the structure of our relationship? Because he wanted to show and to teach us something. Because every good father teaches. They both show it as well as say it. And what God wanted to show us is he wanted to show us what real love is. How many love love? I love love. It is a powerful force. And it starts off here in verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love it is that we should be called children of God. See, you can see the love of a father, can't you? When a father loves his kids, you see it. No one has to say or guess, does this person really love their child? When the love is there, it abounds. You see the love of the father. And here John is showing and he's saying that there is evidence of God's love because a father's love, it is solid and it is committed and it is evident. You can see it. You know, I'll, I'll never forget when we first adopted Riley, and Riley's graduating this, this weekend, and he's getting ready to take off, so that means I can say whatever I want, right? <laughs> and I'm buying lunch, so here we go. <laughs> but I'll never forget when we were here, um, I used to be the worship pastor at this church years ago, and the piano used to be over here, and I was in the middle of worship just kind of playing piano and kind of doing the whole thing when the preschoolers were kind of walking through the foyer. I don't know if they had donuts out there or what, but they were going through the foyer, and all of a sudden I hear this little small voice of a three-year-old yell out, Daddy! And he runs in the middle of everything all the way down the aisle, love you, Riley, all the way down the aisle and comes up and sits next to me on, on, the, on the bench as I'm kind of playing or leading worship. And someone tried to come and take him. I'm like, no, this is, this is what I dreamed of, you know. And he sat next to me the whole time. And what a, that was one of my favorite worship services. Nobody else probably got anything out of it, but for me, it was a very cool moment. Why? Because it was an opportunity. See, the Father wants to show his love for you. He wants it to be evident. Because our Father love, it's not just that emotion, though there was a lot of emotion in that moment, and feelings are good, but a Father's love, it moves beyond feelings. Because just speaking from my own personal experience, I know that my parents in raising me, I did things that always, didn't always move them with great love in their life for me. <laughs> there were times that I messed up where they had to pray, God, make me patient. Lord, help me with Dwayne to know what's going on. Because see, a father's love, it moves beyond it. It's not subjective to the moment. And even here, John is saying that a father's love is what the Bible calls great. And in some versions it says, how great the father's love for us that we would be called children of God. And when you dig into that adjective great back into the Greek, it's actually translated how great because it always implies astonishment and admiration. See, being a child of God, it stirs within John and it should stir within us this sense of wonder and awe and amazement. In my own life, when I find that I'm losing that sense of wonder and awe and amazement, it's because I'm not connected, I'm not looking, I'm not seeing God. Because when my eyes open and I see him and I experience who God is, all I can say is how great is our God. It's that sense of awe, that sense of wonder. Because see, being a child of God, it will stir that with you. But even as we dig deeper into this word of how great is our God, we find that the expression, it also carries with it both a qualitative 
connotation as well as a quantitative force. Now, those are kind of two big terms, but qualitative just meaning that the quality is high. It's the highest. It's perfect. It is pure. So how great is our Father's love? It is pure. It is the highest quality that you would ever want. You want love. You look to God because it is pure. But it's also this quantitative force, meaning it's so massive that it just moves over us. Have you ever had that happen to you with the love of God? Natalie was kind of talking about this morning. She got up just saying, the love of God is just so strong in this place today. It's high quality, 100% pure, but it has this force behind it. This is what John is talking about it. And as we dig a little bit deeper into how John describes it, John is using this word that originally, that, that adjective in his day, it meant of what country, meaning of what country is this love? This is almost foreign to us. This is a love like we have never experienced. So in that day, they would, if they couldn't understand it or couldn't see it or it just seemed so massive, they would say, what country is this from? Because we've never experienced this before. That's the God that we serve to where Oftentimes it's even foreign to us because it is so pure. It is so massive where it just has this presence in our life. Where as we reflect on it, it astonishes us. It amazes us. It creates wonder in our life. Are you missing a sense of wonder in your life? Do you want awe to overwhelm you? Look to the love of God and invite that love into you. Because not only as we look at this we also find out that real love, it changes our identity. Something that pure, something that, that strong. It changes our identity to where now our identity is with God. That's what real love does. See, when we become his child, Romans 8 says that we become his heir. An heir is a word that we often don't use in the context that we live in today. But especially in that day, becoming an heir, Romans 8, 17, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, that's all of us, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. See, as an heir of God, or even as an heir, if you're an heir in a family, that means that you are entitled to all the blessings that come with it. All the blessings, all the possessions, everything that it means being a part of it. And when we talk about being an heir of God, that means that the blessings and the possessions that are in his kingdom are for all of us. How much does God own? All. Everything. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? That should blow your mind. Everything. God who made the the universe, the God of love. And an heir, you can always tell an heir because an heir of someone is someone who is like their father. Have you heard the expression before, like father, like son? Because the son often takes on the characteristics of the father. Why? Because the son follows in the footsteps of the father. Wherever the dad goes, the son often goes, especially in those early years. You know, I was grow- when, I, when I was growing up, I was the last of eight kids. Everyone say, bless your parents. <laughs> I was the last of eight kids growing up, Okay. And so by the time I came along, I was following my dad everywhere. If dad went fishing, I was jumping in that boat and going back. If my dad was going on a sales call, any time that, that I could convince him to take me, I would go along with him. My dad played in our church band. It was like a Salvation Army brass band. And I was sitting right next to him. Even though sometimes it meant he had to kind of put me under the seat and start feeding me certs and candy to kind of keep me kind of, kind of contained, okay? But why? Because he wanted me there. And I wanted to be there. You walk in their footsteps. My dad's nickname was Smitty. Right? Last name Smith. 
So guess what my nickname ended up being? Smitty. Hey, Smitty. It was just like my dad. We follow in the footsteps. Because, see, kids learn about their father's love because they go there. You know, even my kids growing up, growing up in my home means that you watch hockey. Everyone say hockey. All right. Right? I don't force you to love it, but you got to be around it. It means that that hockey uh, hockey is around. It means that you're going to hear a wide variety of music. Often in the morning when my kids get up, there's jazz music going. I've got Bill Evans playing. I've got Oscar Peterson playing. I've got Brad Muldow playing. I've got Hiromi playing because piano is the greatest instrument ever. (laughs) It means as well that you're going to love the outdoors. I love hiking. It means you're going to know the difference in bad coffee and great coffee in my house. Now, all these things may be very funny, but that's what you get when you're hanging around the Father. You start knowing it. You start embracing it. You start seeing it. And I've even found there were some things that in my dad that I didn't fully embrace as a kid that as an adult I'm embracing further now. You know, it's that old adage that, you know, when you become a teenager, you think your parents don't know anything. And then when you become an adult, you realize your parents knew everything. (laughs) Because it's planted deep. It's the Father's love. By having that proximity, you learn it. And how much more with God? God, he walks with us. He leads us. He brings us to places where we need to go. And he teaches us the things that we need to learn. And God shows us the thing that he values most. And that's you. Look around the building today. This is who God loves. Look around your community tomorrow as you walk through it and today as you walk through it. That's who God loves. Look at the person with his hands out begging for bread, begging for some money on a street corner. That's who God loves. Every human. These are the people that God loves. And he shows us that as we walk with him. Because he's the real deal. He's the real father. But this morning we need to be aware Because that for everything that is real, everything that's of value, there's often a counterfeit option, right? You only need to walk the streets of New York City to see all the counterfeits that are being made of things. Something that looks like the real deal. It often seems to have the same features, but they're willing to promise it at a fraction of the cost. But it ends up breaking down. And as it deals with fatherhood, it doesn't just break down, it can destroy you in the process. And this brings us to our next point. We had the real father, now we have the counterfeit father. There's a counterfeit father. Someone who's out vying for that position, and his name is Satan. His name is Satan. Verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. He's saying, don't be deceived. There's a counterfeit father out there that is out for it. Now, as it relates to Satan, fatherhood was not his first plan. Plan A for Satan was to be God. His plan was to be God. When God made him, he made him as the highest angel, as the most beautiful angel. But this all caused pride to come up within Satan. And as a result, he wanted to take control. And he wanted to be worshipped as God. But God will never be dethroned because he's God. He's all-powerful. So the result of Satan's plan A to be God, as Satan is cast out of heaven. We read this in Isaiah 14, 12, when it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. 
How you are cut down to the ground, you who lay the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, the place of the dead, to the far reaches of the pit. Because nobody takes over God. He's God. So plan A fails. So Satan comes up with plan B. You know what plan B is? Plan B is to take God's place in our lives as father. See, since Satan couldn't be God, he's like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to go after the most valuable thing in your life, your children. And I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to trick them into thinking that I can be their father. He switched his tactic. And Jesus even referred to this in John 8. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The father of lies, the counterfeit father. See, Satan even tried this with Jesus in Matthew 4, 9. He said, all of this I will give you if you will bow and worship me. If you will bow and worship me, I will give this to you. See, Satan's tactic in trying to become your father today is deception. That's why John here in verse 7, he says, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. For those of us who have kids, we say that a lot, don't we? I pray it a lot. I say, God, let, don't let them be deceived. Don't let them be fooled. Don't let them be tricked. And as we look at this word, deceive, it literally means to sever, to cut off. Deception is a cutting off. And do you know what needs to happen for someone to, to cut something off or someone to come in and hurt you? They have to get close. To cut off, you need to get close to someone. This is not something that's done for, from a distance. Satan will try to get in. He'll try to get close so he can sever things out. See, he's out to take the closest relationship, that role of father in your life, but he's out to take it to destroy us, to hurt us. I mean, this epitomizes the whole dysfunctional relationship. Dysfunctional relationships, they often have these markers. It's often marked by lies. And in this case with Satan... The relationship began with a lie. It began back in the Garden of Eden, right? Remember when he went, to, he went to Eve and he said, did God really say? See, Adam and Eve knew the truth. But Satan tried to twist it. He said, did God really say? He's the father of lies. And every great lie, every lie that is the most deadly, it will always have an element of truth, won't it? Have you ever heard something go, well, it kind of sounds true. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's there. But it's the truth that has been twisted. It's the truth that's been twisted around. See, Satan is the father of lies, so he, he will lie to us, but then he'll also try to manipulate us. Satan is out to manipulate and to conquer us for our pleasure, and he often does this by confusing us. Have you been in a confusing conversation where things kind of go back and forth, and you end up at the end of the conversation going, man, I don't even know where I am right now. This often happens in parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> You're like, what did I say? You can go, you can't go, I'm not really sure. This is what the father of lies does. Did God really say? Have you heard this? How could a God of love do that? 
Or if God is all-powerful, why wouldn't he do this? Or God wouldn't mind if you did this. Am I the only one who hears those things? This is the manipulative nature of Satan to try to confuse, to try to come in. And then confusing you, he'll try to get you to take the bait, and then he'll bring guilt on your life. See, God doesn't shame you. God doesn't use shame. God says what's right, and he says what's wrong, because he wants to keep you from this destruction. But Satan will come in where once you take that bait, he will shame you, he will guilt you, because he wants to own you and to destroy you. And because it's such a dysfunctional relationship, often dysfunctional relationships, they're ridden with guilt. They want to make you feel bad. And then in the middle of that, he'll even come in and abuse you. He'll try to bring pain, try to cause pain to bring in. Because, see, Satan, he's just out for control. And he'll often even offer a false sense of freedom through what John here calls lawlessness. Lawlessness. See, lawlessness, it has the illusion of freedom, but it's a trap. Do you want to function in a city of Shoreline or city of Seattle that has no rules in place? Do you want to ride down I-5 that has no rules in place? It may seem like it. But do you want to go to I-5 <laughs> or I-405? Laws are important, right? You drive on this side of the road, you have this speed limit. You have to do these tests to get in there. Why? Because it makes us safe. There are boundaries to everything. Even playing board games. How many, how many gamers have got in the crowd today? Right? So in a board game context, the rules become very important because how, how else can you have a tactic? How else can you have a strategy? And even having fun, the game is more fun when the rules are there. Fun leaves the game when all the rules are gone and people just start doing whatever and you're like, this game doesn't make sense to me anymore. What is this? What is this? See, God knows how we're made and he knows that a life without guidelines brings bondage just like anything else that's created. There are rules of engineering, rules of design, rules of mechanics that come into play for it to operate, whether it's your car, whether it's your computer or anything. It's those laws, those dynamics, those things that were created before time of how things function that allow us to enjoy life, to enjoy relationships. These are so important, so vital. But Satan will come in and say, you don't need to do that. Just do what you want. Be free, do anything. In the middle of it, how many people have been destroyed by people just doing whatever they want? See, every action that we do, everything that we do, it affects other people. We we know that, right? We don't live in autonomy. We live in community. Every action has an equal reaction. This is what God is saying. This is what God is saying. Be aware of it. So he's calling out the counterfeit. And he's calling out the counterfeit by allowing us to get to know him as our real father. God wants to know you and to be known by you. See, God wants to be known as your father. As a father, I want my kids to know me and I want to know them. And even along the way, if I'm thinking that, man, that relationship's starting to wane a little bit, I start pressing in and leading in. Now, not perfectly. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, okay? Talk to my kids. They can tell you stuff. Don't tell them the too bad stuff. They can. <laughs> I'm not perfect. But what I'm saying 
is that our Heavenly Father, He wants to be known by you. This is the role of a father, to know your children, to lean into them, to help them, to guide them, and to nurture them. Because, see, our only hope is found in knowing God as our father. Our only hope in parenting, and our only hope in loving and mentoring others. One of the biggest needs that we have in our culture today is to be a father to the fatherless. To be a father to the fatherless. James 1.27 even says it this way. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. It's what? To love the orphans. To love those around you. To look around you and to go, who can I pour my life into? Do you want to grow as a person? Do you want to grow as a man or a woman of God? Start pouring your life into somebody. Because in that process, you will learn a lot. How many of you have learned a lot? If you want to know something, try to teach it. There were a lot of things, especially in my early years, as I began to teach, I began to realize, you know, I don't know this as well as I thought. How many teachers you've discovered that? But it makes you dig in. It makes you study it. So then for the next class, you're more prepared, and now you know it better because you know it to the point where you're able to teach it, where you're able to pass it on. We need to be men and women, a community where we are pouring into people, where we're looking for opportunities. That's what the Shoreline Arts Festival is next week. This is a big prayer of my heart. When I first came here and I saw the Arts Festival was over there, I was like, thank you, God. People pray for that. 10,000 people across the street, and they're doing arts. I was an arts pastor. God is the creator of arts. What an opportunity for us. We pray for people to come here, and they're right there, literally across the street. We should be pouring out of here next weekend. Pastor Lindsay should have that sheet filled and sign up and say, hey, you know what? The sheet is full, but can I do something else? We have artists that are coming from the area that don't even go to our church that says, can we partner with your church to come in and we're going to do some face painting and some caricatures. And we're not there to guilt people. We're not there to bang over their head. We're there to serve. No strings attached. We're there to love. No strings attached. We're there to affirm the arts that's happening across from us. Does that light you up? If it lights you up next weekend, you should be there. As we leave this place today, look at it. If you're around next, next weekend, look at that. Put your name in. You want to do something that's going to have a huge impact in our community? Let it start there. You've been praying, God, how can you use me in affecting our community? Lord, help me to learn and, and develop relationships with my community. God's saying, it's right here. Sign up. And you even get to have slime around you in the process. You get to see amazing artists in the process. You get to walk by amazing food trucks. They're pulling off this amazing event. We need to partner with them. We need to be a good neighbor and go out. Amen? Are you with me in that? It is amazing. And I know that I may be standing up on that, but I'm telling you, that's an answer to prayer. We need to love our community. We need to see where are the areas that we can go out, where are the areas that we can come in, because that's what a father does. That's the heart of a father. Where can I love? Where can I build relationships? Where can I come in and just serve? Whether it's greeting or picking up trash or helping to make the slime or just helping artists have the pens and the paper that they need or going to the food truck and saying, hey, can I buy you lunch over at this Korean barbecue place today? Highly recommended, okay? Just, that's amazing. I'll move on. (laughs) Huge passion of mine. Because, see, knowing God, it makes us new. 
When we know him and that passion gets inside of us, it makes us new. See, the Bible tells us that we were born into sin. Why do we need to be made new? Because we've been busted up. I've been busted up. Because sin breaks down and it damages us. But God, our Father, he takes away what destroys us because that's what a good dad does. That's what our Abba Father does. He comes in and he takes it away. We know that from Romans 6, that sin leads to death. It's that separation from God. But now through Jesus, we experience this new birth because he appeared in order to take it away because in him there's no sin. He wants us to walk with us, so he makes us new. This is amazing. This was the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, how can you be born again? How can you re-answer? What do you mean born again? Jesus is talking about the spiritual new birth. It's our soul, the part of us that lasts forever. We experience this new birth. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In Ephesians, it talks about putting off the old, taking on the new. This is what it means to walk with Christ. Are you tired and a heavy burden today? Are you feeling down? Are you feeling weighed down by guilt? Or you have so many questions? God's saying, come to me. I will make you new. I will make you new. See, when we come to God in this way, admitting that, God, I'm, I'm broken. I need you. We begin to enter into that father-son relationship. I mean, what does that do to your relationship when someone comes to you and says, you know what, whether it's a child or a friend, they're like, you know, I messed up last week. Will you forgive me? What does that do to your relationship? Instead of someone getting caught, and you know that there's stuff going on, but you're like, why aren't they coming and talking to me about it? Do I really need to confront them? Do we need to run to God and say, God, forgive me. I know I'm broken. I need you. And then God says, I will take away the sin. It says that he will give us forgiveness, which is forgiveness for the debt and the cost. But he also removes the bondage. See, sins will destroy us and will hold us hostage by it. But Jesus has released us and he's forgiven us. And for some of us, we've been forgiven. We've come to God and we've asked forgiveness, but we're, we're still being held with guilt. Because sometimes we don't believe it or sometimes we walk it out and things confuse us. And God's saying, I've forgiven you. Walk with me. There will be things in our life that will come in and God will miraculously just take and remove. And then we'll, there will be other things you're saying, God, why do I still struggle with this? And he's saying, just walk with me. Walk with the body of Christ. I'm going to bring this friend in your life to kind of help you walk through it. Because there are some things that get so deep dug in our spirits that God's saying, I want you to experience this process and to walk it out. That's why we believe so much in having groups, having these smaller groups where you can get together and you can talk about it. You can say, man, I love God and I'm walking in God, but I'm still struggling with this. And you can have men and women that will help you, pray with you, walk it out with you, however long it takes. But in all that, you need to realize that once you've asked for forgiveness, are you forgiven? Yes. The answer is yes. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. This is the work of our Father in our life. We treat our kids that way, don't we? Right? 
You're always my son. You're always my daughter. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're always my child. I will always be there for you. And if we being imperfect can do that, how much more can a perfect God who is everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, how much more will he be there? So receive your forgiveness from the Lord today. This is the whole point. Verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So as we kind of conclude this and wrap this up today, as the worship team comes forward, I want to ask you a question today. Have you asked and received that forgiveness from the Lord? And for some of you, this may be your first day, and you're like, man, that hockey guy's passionate up there. But this hockey guy is, almost, is, is also a father. And I recognize the heart of a father is to reconcile, to pull in, and say, are you heavy? Are you carrying things that you were never meant to carry? Go to your heavenly father and say, Lord, I'm going to cast it on you. All my anxiety, all my fears, all my questions, I'm going to give them to you and open my ears so that I can hear and that I can receive from you today. This is the whole point. This is why God set himself up as a father. And today he's out to restore this relationship. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness, and we thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that through him as we confess and as we receive, we allow your spirit now to fill us. To not just to forgive us, but to break the bondage that the enemy tries to put in our life. Lord, I pray for all these masterpieces in this room, everybody today. Lord, that they would receive forgiveness from their Heavenly Father today. Just like we prayed at the beginning where we hold our palms out, and I invite you to do that again. Just hold your palms out face down. Let go of anything that would get in your way today. And just even pray to the Lord, Lord, remove all that baggage. Remove all the hindrances. Remove all the voices that are not yours. The lies of the enemy, the tricks, the twists. And then I hold my hands up saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Fill me with your life. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk in you. If that's in your heart today, just pray it. Just pray it to the Lord and allow him to come in. When we do that, the Bible says that his spirit now fills us and guides us and walks with us and leads us. So John 10, 10, it's life to the full, overflowing abundantly. Fill us, Lord. And we give you thanks in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. We're, we're going to head into a time of response. It's not enough to be hearers of the word, but we also need to be doers of the word. So let me just invite you in this time to respond. We have communion set up. If you're a follower of Christ or today you're like, I'm following Jesus. The table is always a place of reconciliation, isn't it? You bring people around the table, and that's what Jesus did. Let me invite you just to go up. You can go up as an individual. You can go up as a family, as a couple. You can go find somebody and say, would you, would you have communion with me today? His body was broken for us. The grape just recognizing, rec- 
his blood that was spilt for us. Do you need healing in your life? Go to the table as a sign of surrender to God and saying, God, heal me today, whatever that is, spiritually, physically, emotionally. We have prayer teams. I'm going to invite them to go to the side, men and women that would love to pray for you. If you're going, man, I need someone to pray with me today. I need to talk to somebody. I need somebody I can kind of get this thing going. They are wonderful people. They would love to pray for you. Or maybe you want to turn to somebody next to you and say, hey, I want to talk about this. But let's take a moment just to respond. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we respond to your word now, and we give you thanks for your goodness. On this Father's Day, Lord, let this be the beginning, that every day would be Father's Day, our Heavenly Father. And we give you thanks in your name. And everyone said together, amen. Let's, let's respond to our Father today.